you don't necessarily need the likes or the followers. You need sales of students and clients who are satisfied, who are happy with your brand. They are growing with you. They are transforming themselves with you. They are engaged with your work. Whether you're a professional dancer or just started falling in love with ballet dance, welcome to the Ballet Dance Live podcast. Here, we are diving deep into all facets of ballet dance world that cannot be found in a workshop or an audience seat. Every week, you will find new, honest, thought-provoking, inspiring, and educational conversation with top leading professionals of our industry. I'm your host, Jana Komornitska, and I'm honored that you are part of our dance tribe. This episode is brought to you by the Yana Dance Club, online platform where you can get access to all my teaching materials at once. Hundreds of technique drills, multiple choreographies, themed intensives, full-length courses, everything you can think about. Whether 20 minutes or few hours for practice, you will find a program that will fit not only your schedule, but your mood as well. First seven days are free, so check it out at yanadansclub.com, link in the show notes. Hello everyone, welcome to a new episode of the Baladins Live podcast, and I am so happy to welcome back our guest Joanna Sahir. Today is gonna be very inspiring but also very practical conversation and for those who may not know this is already our second interview with Joanna. So if you have missed the previous one go back to episode number 76 because we talked about Egyptian dance as a tool of self-discovery and empowerment and we talked a lot in that conversation about uh, Joanna's personal dance story, her experience in Cairo, the reason why she decided to leave Cairo, how belly dance or Egyptian dance specifically influenced her life and her personality and helped her to discover new facets of uh, herself. And we talked a lot about how much dance is related to self-development and self-discovery in that conversation. In our today's interview, we talked a lot about Joanna's new projects, specifically online education, which two years ago, when we did the previous interview, we just briefly mentioned about it, uh, that she was... uh, she was already active, but still, it was just in the beginning. It was just a concept that was already in the progress, in the development. And now, after a few years since then, it's blossoming fully already. And I know there is so much more to come in the future and probably develop, but she already has so much experience in uh, not only uh, putting together online like courses, classes, but also creating the whole universe based on that and fully being integrated in online space, which in her case was her own choice. So it was not a trend that happened about 18 months ago that everyone had to, like, were forced to go to online space. She started it before. So she talks about her experience, sharing some tools with you, and um, you will definitely discover quite a few tips that you can implement in your own practice and i know this topic is very important and hot for so many teachers because yes we are slowly 
start coming back to, let's say, more or less normal things or ways of doing or interacting in our dance field, but still online is a big part of our activities and um, fully understanding and fully embracing all possibilities in the online space is still very important for all dance teachers and Joanna is definitely one of the people to learn from. Joanna Sahira is a world known dancer, teacher, choreographer and author specialized in Egyptian oriental and folkloric dances. She has written and published two books, The Secrets of Egypt, Dance Life and Beyond and Behind the Curtain. She created pioneering online platforms Joanna Sahir's World and Joanna Sahir's Online Dance School, delivering authentic Egyptian dance, personal discovery and empowerment, and she's also the creator of upcoming the Oriental Cafe podcast, so something new for you soon to listen to. Joanna started her career in Egypt, where she performed and lived for eight years, as well as worked with Mahmoud Reda as uh, his teaching and choreography assistant. She has been a constant presence as an invited artist, choreographer, and teacher at major international Oriental dance festivals, and she has been an innovator in the field of Egyptian dance, creating a bridge of connection between Egypt and the world. As I mentioned in our today's conversation, we will talk a lot about teaching online, creating online platform, creating brands, not just relying on your dance name, but actually what does it mean to create a brand. But of course, we also talk about other topics and two highlights of this conversation, we're talking about Egyptian dance and self-confidence. Uh, that was a great continuation of our previous interview talking about Egyptian dance and self-discovery empowerment and we also talked and discussed in this conversation today uh, the differences and misconceptions between such terms as sensuality and sexualization and how they are related or not related to Egyptian dance and the idea of belly dance. So lots of things to listen to, to digest, and then to implement in your own strategies, both actually either you are teaching or performing how to bring together online community. It's all important for all of us involved in a dance industry. So on this note, let's dive in. Today, I have pleasure and honor to welcome Joanna back to our podcast for the second run of the interview of the conversation. And I'm really excited about today's conversation because the first one was like one of my favorite ones. And I'm very happy to welcome you back to the podcast, Joanna. Thank you, Jana, once more for the invitation, for also giving me a chance to, to share. You know, I love sharing the love for the dance and experiences and learning curve. So it's really, really a pleasure. So thank you for the invitation once again. And uh, it's, it's great to be here chatting with you. Mm. And for all our listeners who by some reason somehow might have missed the first uh, conversation that we had, I highly encourage go back and listen. I will put a direct link in the show notes. But in our previous conversation, we talked a lot about your dance journey, about years in Egypt, about your decision to leave Egypt and to stop your career at the peak uh, level, and also about many of your activities and like creative uh, 
a view, how you see dance, rock shark specifically, Egyptian dance, and uh, uh, many inspiring thoughts. And I'm pretty sure today we are not going to repeat, we are going to dive even deeper. But for those who missed it, I highly encourage go back and uh, uh, listen to this link. You can literally easily find in the show notes. And to begin our today's conversation, I would um, love to ask you uh, about basically recent time since our previous conversation. It's a few years already passed. And uh, when you left Egypt, you were very excited about uh, teaching activities that you had. And you started very actively doing online uh, activities, classes, courses. And now we have sort of a boom of uh, online space and activities all around the world. So for you personally, last 18 months... How did they change and how did they influence your online activities? Because you have started online teaching and stuff way before all this world craziness started. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I felt like a continuation of what I was already doing. To be very, very honest, if there is uh, something that I could pinpoint that has come from this pandemic, in terms of work, I would say I needed to work more, faster, to learn more, faster, and to apply everything faster. That's the only difference. Because as you mentioned, even when we met for our first interview, I was already very clear that I wanted to create my brand, not only my name in the dance field, but my brand, which is a different thing, okay? I have created my name in Egypt, in festivals around the world, but I did not have a brand. And it was clear for me when we spoke that was the next step. It was also clear that I wanted to be my own boss. (laughs) Okay. I don't remember if we talked about that or not, but uh, it was in my head for sure. So the process of building my online school, my online platform, investing in this side of my career, in this stage of my career, when we last spoke, was already happening. It did not come because of the pandemic. You know, I did not turn to the online because I was not uh, working in festivals or blah, 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 like most dancers at all, at all. Way before the pandemic came, I knew this was my path already. And I knew this was the future already, instinctively, intuitively. So there was no big surprise or there was no big change in my work. The only thing is that everything sped up. Everything became faster and obviously also the market became overloaded with everything. Good stuff, terrible stuff, excellent stuff, fluffiness. uh, I mean, all, all of it. So the market is kind of more open, but also more overcharged with things that are not so good or not necessarily good. And people get more dispersed. People get, you know, get more lost. In the, in the sea of information and proposals online, and also saturated. This is something that I hear from my own community inside Joanna Seder's world and in the school, that people are starting to get saturated with so much offers. But in my personal case, I just felt that everything became faster. That's, that's the only thing. Uh, I worked more, I learned more, I applied more, I grew more, and everything on speed dial. 
you know, but a continuation of, of what I had already started, to be quite honest, not, not a big change at all. Did you feel like the competition increased for online stuff and everyone basically jumped to do everything online? Uh, yes and no. Okay, so yes, why? Because, you know, I'm aware of ads. I'm aware of uh, people who were not teaching online before starting to teach online. Obviously, even for survival, you know, I totally understand. It's predictable. It's obvious, it's natural. And no, because most of my students are what I call hardcore students. I am not good at marketing. I don't spend time promoting so much. I am actually terrible at marketing. <laughs> I am very good in content, which means that I have students who follow me for one year, two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years. I have students in my school that have been my students even before I went to Egypt. So that's more than 20 years ago. So what I call the hardcore students are not the ones that come to you through a paid ad or because it's trendy to study online nowadays or, or because they saw your promotion or a reference somewhere. They are people who already knew me, most of them, from the physical work, either from Egypt or from festivals around the world where they have studied with me. So I don't feel the competition in the sense that my hardcore clients, because we're talking about a school that sells courses, I, I have my private coaching, which I have had for a long time, even before we spoke, and then private coaching online, I mean, and then Joanna said there's online dance school that is taking off right after we had our first interview it started to take off big time and now we have our signature course and it's growing organically every day. And it's something that I'm very proud of, which means people talk about it internally and they recommend it to each other internally because I see the stats, you know, I go into my school every single day, not only to teach, but to see who is coming, how they're coming, why they're there, what they expect, what do they do inside the school. Uh, students who buy a course usually buy all the courses, which is a great sign. Uh, students who have been with me, as I told you, have usually, at least the majority, been with me for a long time, way before the pandemic. So I'm not really relying on, you know, fashion or this online uh, craziness or even on ads. I don't rely on that. I rely on delivering the best content always, and that pays off in the long run because that's how you, you earn the confidence and the trust of people. And in the end of the, the day, that's what counts because you want to teach them, you want to choreograph, you want to do work. You don't want necessarily to have, you know, the most followers on your YouTube, although that's good, you know, it's good. And it shows some visibility, you know, or the most followers on Facebook or, or Instagram or whatever, if that does not reflect in sales, you know what I mean? And if you have a business, if you have a brand, which is a business, you need sales. You don't necessarily need the likes or the followers. You need sales of students and clients who are satisfied, who are happy with your brand. They are growing with you. They are transforming themselves with you. They are engaged with your work, with your work, inside your work, not around, you know, not around it. <laughs> so 
I have felt the competition in terms that I'm not I'm not sleepwalking. So obviously, everybody who was not teaching online and did not like it was forced to do it. And I understand. But, you know, on the other side, I, I have been doing it already. And as I told you, I believe in serving serving people. <laughs> if you serve them consistently, and I've been delivering, you know, excellent work for a long time, it pays off. You know, a lot of people already follow my work and they follow my work in terms of buying the shows, buying the courses, buying the private classes. So that's what makes a business, you know. So I'm I'm very happy, very happy, very tired. Mm, I imagine. <laughs> <But> happy. <laughs> But do you do any marketing and promotional work or you just rely basically on uh, like spreading the word among your students and uh, getting more people to know through your students? Or do you actually do like at least some parts uh, Uh, of like some sort of promotion. I'm not talking necessarily about paid ads, like, you know, because promotion and marketing, it's way beyond <laughs> just having paid ads. Uh, but in principle, like what's your work uh, in terms of not necessarily just content creation, but promotion? Does it include any any steps, any things? No, I'm very, I'm very outspoken in social media. I share a lot of stuff, not necessarily the stuff that sells, you know. I like sharing genuinely sharing and we have a lot of free events at Joanna Slater's World so a lot of the content I share is not of paid courses it's not of paid anything I deliver a lot of free high quality content but if you ask me where do I put most of my energy and focus and time for sure and I'm not saying this is the correct thing to do okay I'm saying that's what I'm currently doing <laughs> Uh, for sure, my focus and my time, or the most of it, is in serving the students and the clients who have already invested in me and in my brand. That's my focus. So if I have to sacrifice um, a good launch or a good promotion for the sake of creating the best course, the best class, the best show, I will gladly do it. Because, you know, I have a small team working with me, but This is a creative work. So there is so much of the work that I have to do myself. And my day has only 24 hours. And I also like to have a private life, you know. So I'm not working 24-7. I, I work a lot, but I try to create a little bit of balance. Otherwise, you know, it's burnout total. Um, so I would choose uh, until today, okay, to put my focus on creating the best content. And creating great content takes time and takes a lot of your attention. So for me, for me, this is a very personal thing. I'm either out there call, calling out the shots and telling the world, look, 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 this is what I'm doing. And I do that superficially and gladly and, you know, happily. Or I am focusing on creating the content and satisfying the people who have already invested in the brand, who have already invested in the courses I have at the school, who are already my students. So I would say that's 80% content and 20% of sharing the news, which I don't even call it marketing, you know, because marketing for me, um, it, it requires different things like a strategy, Like, yeah, paid ads, because marketing um, means you're attracting new people, new leads, new clients. And that can only be done usually, usually through paid ads 
or, you know, free events and uh, live sessions. I'm doing Juju live sessions on Facebook, for instance. Um, and it brings, it brings new students organically. I'm doing free events, as I mentioned, that also ends up bringing um, organic traffic into the school. But it's not my focus. I do those things because I love to share. And um, if I have to choose where I will put my gold, it's always in serving the people who are with me, always, first. They come first and second and third. And then marketing. <laughs> well, it. actually, it's funny because I have uh, uh, also involved a lot in online like work. But from what you said, I actually heard you're doing a lot of marketing. Like I personally don't agree that marketing is just paid ads. I think there is a lot of potential in organic reach for new people. And from what you're doing, like live sessions, live streams, uh, you're sharing also a lot of articles online, which I also wanted to talk about. So it's yeah. all the tools of marketing is just uh, uh, maybe focused on on uh well they're actually focused on interesting people in your work and reaching new people so uh that's interesting but i'm really curious also to ask earlier you mentioned that when all this craziness that everyone jumped online uh, things sped up and that you had to learn everything uh, faster and learn more and uh, implement things more. What was the biggest sort of lesson that you learned during this last 18 months? Oh, okay. That's a great question. Let me just tell you about the, the marketing. Maybe I have a different concept. You know, I will tell you a story. Okay. It's a fun story. A while ago, I was speaking with a friend. Uh, she she ha has a major in marketing, so she studied marketing. And I was telling her, oh, my God, I'm terrible with marketing, and I hate marketing. She told me, what? You are great at marketing, Joanna. I said, oh, come on. <laughs> Don't screw with me. Of course I'm not, because I'm aware of great marketing. I'm aware of what that looks like. And also because um, my mind when I share a post or when I do a live Facebook session with content is I want to share that information. I'm not doing it with the purpose of selling something. Even if during the session or during the event, I mention an event that I'm selling at the school or a course, of course, I'm mentioning it if there's something happening. But my focus is on sharing content. And even before I had Joanna Seda's World and even before I had Joanna Seda's Online Dance School and I did not need to sell anything because I was hired by, um, you know, festival organizers who knew me. I, I did not have to market my brand yet. I was already sharing a lot of free, high quality content. So for me, in my head, but that's just because I'm a weirdo, uh, a lot of the things that people will call marketing are actually me sharing all the knowledge I have accumulated. And it's a pleasure for me to connect and to put it out there. And I don't see it as marketing, even if in the end it works out that way. Okay, <laughs> so just clarifying. In terms of learning curves, um, well, you know, there is the practical side and there is the more personal side, right? In practical terms, I had to learn a lot about business, and technology, which is not my thing. People don't believe me when I say this, but technology has never been my thing. <laughs> now I love it because it serves the vision I have for my career and for my life, but it doesn't come easy to me. 
okay, technology. I'm not naturally good at it, never been. So I had to learn about business, technology, marketing, yes, knowing at least in theory. I had to create an entire school from zero. I had to put a lot of content that I was teaching instinctively into a very specific, clear, described method that people can access and understand. I had to upgrade myself as a dancer, as a choreographer, as a teacher, like a thousand percent in a very short amount of time. <laughs> okay, so it has been like a crash course on upgrading myself as a professional dancer and teacher and choreographer. It's been crazy, crazy. I've never been busier in my entire life. Okay, on a personal level, these uh, last two years have taught me a lot about independence uh, and how important it is to be independent and uh, resourceful and adaptable. Because as we've seen, reality can change in a second, you know. And if you're not ready, if you don't have the humbleness, you know, sometimes I think it's a question of humbleness that no matter how great you are, no matter how great what you have built may be, Life happens, and you've got to be ready to change, adjust, alter your plans, upgrade yourself if necessary, reinvent yourself if necessary, and not being stuck with identity that may not be possible anymore, okay, or your own concept of who you are and what you do. <laughs> that is not possible anymore, and so many of us are so stubbornly attached to old versions of ourselves and say, no, 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 this is who I am. This is what I do. I say, yeah, good luck with that because everything is changing. So, you know, touch with your feet on the ground and, and realize that maybe there is a new version of you and a new version of your work and a new vision of life that is being required of you right now. And having that adaptability, that humbleness and that capacity for work because adaptation and reinvention are beautiful concepts but their work it takes a lot of work you know when you look at my website the website of the brand and the school it's still a lot of, of work to do there i spent months with my web designer around just the vision just the vision for my brand i don't even mean building the the the, the, the damn thing you know it's just the vision, because I had never had to think about it. You know, I was Joanna Saida. No one's in Egypt, all over the world. Everyone who is everyone in my field knows me. That's me. Okay. But, but no, no. I would be dead if I believed that would be where I started and ended. I would be dead. So I, I soon realized, even before the pandemic, but much more during the pandemic, that if you want to evolve and if you want to have a legacy, if you want to leave a legacy behind, you need to think outside of your belly <laughs> and you need to think in terms of upgrading yourself, upgrading your vision. What is the evolution of your work? What is the evolution of your uh, vision for yourself, for your life? You know, it cannot be the one that you had one year ago or 10 years ago. If it is, you are <laughs> in a pickle. I don't think you're in a good place. And these two years have taught us that, okay? Also, 
our ability to um, be grateful. I know this is a cliche, but be grateful for the human connections that are now being removed from our lives, or at least, you know, limited, conditioned. Uh, and I've always been very, you know, very close to a close, intimate group of friends in my family. So one of the things that I struggled the most with, but also learned from in these two last years, was to be connected with them in different ways, not necessarily physically, and how important they are in my life. You know, sometimes we just take things for granted and we take people for granted, you know. And also, um, I do believe in the power of connecting bigger movement with smaller movement, right? I mean, what do I mean by this? Uh, I'm an astrology lover. <laughs> I study astrology for a long time. Uh, some of my best friends are astrologers, professionals, so I'm very lucky because I'm always learning from them. And um, even before the pandemic, I knew something big was about to hit us. Okay, okay. I I knew about the age of Aquarius, what this means, a new phase in the world, in humanity, a new phase in our development as human beings and what would be required. I, I was already informed about that because I'm studying these things for many years. So it is interesting uh, to make a connection between what's happening collectively, what's happening in the world with humankind, and then what's happening with us, the little world of each one of us, my private world, my little human universe, and how these two things come together and how I can be in tune with the evolution of the world and what's happening energetically, collectively. So we're really uh, getting into a very interesting new phase in the history of humanity. Um, I'm not sure if this interesting is good or bad. Okay, I think it can be both. <laughs> um, we're obviously being invited to use technology more, but what does that mean? You know, what does that mean? Does it mean that we're more uh, separated from each other physically? Does it mean that we're more connected? even when the people people that we want to connect with are not in our country, are not in our town? Does it mean that we can reach more people or does it mean that we can reach them, but only on a mental virtual level? And what happens to our humanity? What happens to our human relationships? Seeing people's faces and holding them and kissing them and breathing by their sides. You know, these two years have been like, oh God, um, a lot of reflection for me, uh, you know, and thinking, how do I want this new world to be? And how can I and my brand contribute to the creation of this new world, which I hope will not be less human, but will be more connected, yes, as it already is, but also more loving, more kind, more ecologic, you know, a lot of values that I stand for, that my brand stands for, uh, that I'm working for. And in these two years, this new phase, this new proposal, this new invitation is so clear. It's so clear. It's inspiring me and it's making me uh, sleepless at night, literally. You know, <laughs> That's a very That's interesting question that you brought up. Like, are we less connected or are we more connected now it's kind of like interesting to think about that <laughs> also yeah. you 
kind of keep repeating um, regarding your brand and you quite differentiate your name and your brand. Uh, can you clarify like what personally for you, what you put in those words and what the, what is the difference between like your name and your brand? Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. So um, before I created my brand, my school, my platform, before I decided to take my work into my own hands, because until then, even if I had power, I had power, you know, because I had the name, I had power because I had connections with people who knew me, but I was still being hired. I was still being chosen. I had no real power to decide, for instance, what I'm going to teach. Of course, I can say no to certain things, and I have done so. And of course, I can suggest, you know, let's say when I go to a festival, oh, what would you like to teach? Sometimes I'm asked, right? So I had a little bit of power, but I was still being chosen. And I was still being uh, redirected to formats and structures that were not my own. That was true uh, for my work in Cairo, where I was hired by an employer. I had contracts. So although I had all the creative liberty in my show, I was still chosen. I was still bound to the rules and sometimes the appetites of a boss. Okay. <laughs> so uh, although I felt powerful, I knew that in the end, the, 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 the identity and the autonomy of my work was not in my hands. So this is a big difference between having a name and having a brand. Your name may not be your absolute power and independence. Your brand is, if you make it so, okay? This is one thing. Another thing is, until I decided to create my school, and I had been thinking about this for a long time, but I did not know how to do it because I did not want a physical school. I'm a traveler. I like mobility. Even the idea of having a physical school uh, takes my, my air away. You know, I, I'm breathless <laughs> because I go, oh my God, I'm going to be stuck to a place I don't know how many years. So I, I'm very gypsy. You know, I like to, if I want to leave tomorrow, I leave tomorrow for China, to China. Let's go. Yalla. So this mobility is something very important in my character and in my life. So I've been thinking about the school mostly uh, through the advice of Mahmoud Reza. I think I, I may have told you about yes, Mahmoud Reza, yeah, the, the founder uh -huh. of yeah. So Mahmoud was the first person who told me, uh, we got to sit down and start planning for your brand, for your school. Can you believe that? That was Mahmoud Reza. Way back when I was still studying in Egypt, when I was still working in Egypt with my band, when I was still working with him. So he sat me down in his studio in downtown, a studio that no longer exists, in Asr New Street. The studio where I made a lot of rehearsals with my band, the studio where I worked and studied with him, a studio with a lot of memories. He sat me down and he told me, Yabint, girl, when are you going to open your school? When are we going to see your brand? And me and Mahmoud at his table over tea started to delineate what were the values of my brand? He asked me, what do you value the most? And I actually wrote it down. I still have that paper. <laughs> I told him, what do I value the most? First, I want to dignify Egyptian dance. This is my number one love. It's my number one responsibility. I don't even know why. 
I want to dignify Egyptian death. I want to bring this in to a very new light, very new light. I don't want to do what everybody's doing. I have no interest in that. I'm here in Egypt for a reason. And that main reason is to know this craft so well, so well from the inside out that I can dignify it and I can bring it to the world with a very new, different, uplifting, respectful light. Also, I value sisterhood. I value a new concept of relationship between women that does not exist. And I want to create that. I want to be the first to launch a school, a platform that has women who are not competing with each other and ripping each other's hair. You know, I want to, I, I don't care if nobody else does it, I'm going to do it. So we sat down and we started like, you know, delineating what were the values behind my brand, behind my name, behind my work. But those values were not visible yet. They were, they were private. He knew them because he was, you know, my, my closest uh, teacher and friend and reference. And I knew them because I lived those values daily, but they were not public. They were not part of a structure that was visible and impacting people. From the moment I create my brand, my platform and school, those values are clearly stated. They are clearly transmitted, communicated, and everything that happens inside of that platform and school is a reflection of those values. I also have full control of the everything I do. All the choices that I do are mine and mine alone. I also started to see myself and my career as a business and not as a love mission, as I had done, <laughs> believe it or not, <laughs> until recently ago. Okay, that was a hard one for me, you know, to see it as a business. It was almost offensive. To, to the artist in me, you know, because uh, as you know, it's, uh, I think it's, it's uh, something of artists, you know, we like to think of our art, our dance, our choreography, our shows as art. But the reality of things is, if you're a professional and if you want to live from it, and if you want to thrive from it and allow others to thrive from your work and really have a quality thing, high quality product, or product, you need to see it as a business. <laughs> and from the moment you start to see it as a business, you have the notion that you're not just a name people know. You are a brand that represents values, products, and services that serve a certain purpose, a certain standard, a certain mission. And for me, this is a big difference, big difference, and a big upgrade in terms of responsibility, uh, you know, <laughs> it's it, it's work. I can tell you that it's work, but it's very empowering, you know, because now I'm in the position of hiring people. I'm not the one hired, hired. <laughs> you know, I'm in the position of hiring people. And soon, soon at the school, I will be in the position of, you know, calling out dancers to work with me, calling out other teachers, other crafts, other things. So it's incredible to have that power over yourself your destiny, your career. And that was exactly what I wanted way before the pandemic. Nothing to do with the pandemic. 
was part of my vision already for a long time. Oh, I so much can agree and relate. And uh, indeed, there is so much resistance in dancers about treating their art as business. But I think especially for artists, for true artists who not only care about um, developing their own uh, art craft, but also about popularizing this dance form. It's a responsibility to treat it as a business and it's an honor. And only this way you start seeing things differently, approach things differently and approach things uh, uh, I would even say more from serious point of view, not to put down like, oh, uh, approaching it as an art is not serious or anything like that, but you start seeing things differently and spreading the word about your work, about the content that you want to share, about the dance. Uh, it is part of the business and it's... Uh, um, I think almost a FIFA to hide it away from the world and not to use those approaches and those skills. And uh, it's a responsibility, I think, also to break through those limits like, oh, treating it as a business, it's something bad. No, it actually can only help if it's approached in a good way. Also, uh, I'm really curious because you mentioned about your team and the fact that now you're in the position of hiring people. So how big is your team right now? Okay, so we have someone assisting me with logistics, okay? So someone I know for a long time, she's a dear friend of mine and she's very good with technology and, you know, dealing with uh, financial stuff. So that's that's the person of my confidence that I have closest to me. I have people who help me with video editing, with specific uh, campaigns. So it's like different people for different purposes of the business because there is so much to get done. And um, different people working with different intensity because I don't need so much help in every area, you know. So that's, that's what's happening now. It's still very flexible. It's still very much um, crafted around my needs for each particular course, each particular launch. So it, it is flexible. Mm. But even with that uh, small team, you build, uh, like you call it uh, Joanna's world, <laughs> and it's indeed a world. Uh, then I was looking through your uh, website, I noticed that you have a lot of different things uh, going on in terms of online education, and there are courses, there are some subscriptions. Uh, can you share how do you structure your sort of online, let's call them products, uh, and what is actually available for people to sort of like work with you, study from you and the, the formats, specific formats of online education that you offer? Sure. So at our website, we have a page that says courses, right? So if they go to that page, they will see the courses we have available. There are a lot of courses that I do that come and go in a short term. So the courses that you see at our website in the page of the courses are just a part of all the things we've been doing at the school. They're not all the courses. For instance, now uh, this December, we're going to host the modern shabby training. It's going to happen in December and will be gone by the end of December. That's an example. So like the shabby course, we have different courses or workshops or special events that come and go. 
they're not continuously available at the school. So the ones that you see at the page of the courses, they are the ones who are there continuously. Okay, they're available at all times. And we have the new Joanna Seda signature course. This is like the, the, the most important thing I've ever created. I just launched it right now. So we're just starting it. It took me a long time to structure it because so far I had offered more specialized courses, let's call them that way, uh, more specific courses, let's say Saidi course or Onkoisum course or Tablo Solo course or a Nubian course or very specific themes. And I had not launched my method from the ABC, my method of Egyptian Oriental Dance, Raksa Sharki, from the ABC to mastery and professional level, not yet. I had been preparing in the background because I knew that would be the most important thing I would ever do inside the school. So I took my time to really, really structure it well. It is uh, a membership format. It is um, coming from the basis, the foundations of Egyptian dance and personal development, because what I do in the school, it's very specific, very different. And now I start to see, you know, copies already of my work, which is a good sign, you know. But the question is, you cannot deliver something that is original, or you cannot copy and deliver something that is original from someone else. So what I'm doing at the school is bringing a very unique new combination of authentic Egyptian dance as I have rescued it in Egypt in all those years of study and career there with personal discovery and empowerment. And that means we develop the technique of Egyptian Oriental dance with people called belly dance from the ground, from the foundations with my method, with personal development, self-awareness, of confidence, sensuality, creativity, knowing yourself, developing polarities, developing self-confidence, developing and expressing identity, so many things that have never been done because it's coming from me. It's coming from, it's a very personal work, you know. I did not find this method in a book. I did not find it, you know, in a course. Nobody has ever told me, do this this way. It's me. It's me. It's, it's, it's the result of 20 years, more than 20 years of accumulated knowledge and practice and doing things and see what works, see what doesn't work. And also more than 20 years of seeing how Egyptian dance has changed me and why it has changed me and how it has changed me so that I can reproduce that transformation in my students. So we have still a lot of specialized courses available at our school. Then again, they are at the courses page of uh, Joanna Saida's website. But um, we also have the ongoing membership of Joanna Seda Signature Course. And as I was telling you, it comes from the ABC to Mastery. So that will be the advanced level. And then I'm going to open a professional level for the ones who want to go for it. It's optional. But I'm going to open it for the first time. because I already do it in my private coaching. So most of my students in my private coaching are either advanced or professional already. They have their school. Some of them have been dancing for way longer than me. And um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put that at the end of the curriculum of Joanna Seda Signature Course and obviously create a big change 
big change, big shift in the way people teach Egyptian dance, you know, because also a lot of my students at the signature course, they are teachers. They have their own schools. And, you know, they're receiving uh, everything. They're receiving all of this material and using it in their own schools. So if I'm creating change in their dance, in their life, they're absorbing this information and creating it in the dance and in the life of their students. And that's what I want as well. It's not only about me and it's not only about the name of the school. It's really like a ripple effect. You know, if I am training all sorts of dancers, including teachers, I know those teachers are going to use what I'm teaching them. I know it's natural. So if they get transformed with me, they will transform their students. They are receiving the tools to do that. And obviously they have all my support because that's how the world goes, you know, but that's it. It's normal. Uh, it's also so cool to hear the teacher not being afraid uh, to deliver information to students because, you know, there is this, like, sometimes resistance. Yeah. Oh, they will go and teach it. Like, well, in the future, oh, yeah. naturally yeah. they will. <laughs> of course they will. Of course they will. You know, the thing is, the only thing that I don't like, uh, you know, very honestly, is when the, the, the work is not, not acknowledged. And that also happens. I mean... I see my work copied and mimicked by people who never, ever mention my name. That, for me, is a lack of honesty. It's a lack of ethics. It's not nice. But when a student is learning from you and they're going to use my work in their work and they mention my name, they mention it, this is coming from this person. As I mention the name of my teachers all the time because it's a question of honoring the ones who allowed you to be in that position. You know, uh, I'm very creative and I'm very original in everything that I do, but I, it's not enough. In order to be original and creative, I needed teachers who taught me. They are part of my identity. They are part of my work. I speak about Mahmoud Reda all the time and my students know it. I speak about Suhair Zaki and Nago Fouad and Shokri Mohammed and the ones who shaped me into who I am and gave me the basis all the time and whenever i share a concept that is not my own i tell them this is coming from this person i got it from this person because um because that's the correct thing to do you know and, and because i have my own original material i i don't need to take ownership of the work of other people um, much less teachers who gave me everything they knew you know, no way, no way. So the only thing I ask my, my students is that they respect me and my name and my contribution the way I respect my teacher. That's the only thing. But rest assured, there will be people who, who will use it. They will not mention your name. I have people coming into the school just to check what I do. <laughs> they, don't, they don't show up live. They don't, you know, just to check. I, I had people, if you can't believe it, telling me, Joanna, I'm here just to see how you do things. I'm not even interested <laughs> in learning from you. It's just that I want to see how you do it so that I can do it. I say, really? And you have the nerves of telling me that? Yeah, I, they have the nerves of telling you that. I so guess they're I doing marketing research. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, the only response I've, I've given in my school were response to people who come into the school to check what I'm doing so that they can copy it. And they tell me so. They have the nerves of telling me so. I'm not here to learn from you. I'm here to steal from you. And I say, okay, there is your response. Bye. 
because this is a school for students. One thing is if you're coming, you're a teacher, okay? And I have loads of teachers in my school. I have loads of teachers in my signature course from the foundations. They're doing it for me and they are amazing. But they are not hiding and they are not stealing. They're learning as students. They're there to learn. And then, obviously, each one of them is going to use everything I'm giving them in their own work, in their own teaching. And the only thing I can hope is that they acknowledge me and where that information is coming from as much as I acknowledge my teachers, as much as I honor my teachers. That's the only thing I can ask for, you know. But you don't control people, you know. Yana, you don't control people. You can't. If you start thinking about, oh, they're going to steal, oh, they're going to, you will not do anything, you know, because people will be people. You have nice, uh, not so nice people. You have honesty, dishonesty. It's like, you know, just keep on doing your thing and uh, being the example of what you wish they would be, mm. you know. <laughs> so if you yeah, want so other students to honor you, honor your teachers. Yeah, and you know. it's uh, it's a feat not only for students to find the feat of their teacher, but it's also for teacher to find uh, his own uh, students. Like, uh, uh, I definitely apply the principle of firing some clients from my previous gigs job, and sometimes these days I'm firing some students. It's like, nope, not a good fit. <laughs> Go find someone else. Don't don't drag my energy and time. Uh, whenever it's not about actually studying, but about like all things around it, but just not studying. So, yeah, it's yeah, a good reminder. Know, I'm, I'm I'm lucky. I'm lucky with most of the students. I'm very lucky, actually. It's only a very small percentage of of people that are not there for the right reason. You know, yeah, yeah very very small percentage. Uh, otherwise, they are there with. A real desire to learn and a real desire to 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 do the work. Okay, and then obviously, as I told you, we can only hope that people know how to use that, and we can only hope if they're if they're teaching that they will acknowledge where that uh, information came from. Especially students who have studied with me, because as I told you, my method is so unique, it's so different that it's very it's it's very peculiar. You know, I, I think it's even hard to 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 bring that method outside of my school and not acknowledge where it comes from. It's weird. It's strange because it is so different and it's coming from within me. <laughs> so I think that if people, whoever has a bad intention of, of using the work and not acknowledging where it comes from, they're going to have a hard time doing it because everything is so personal and everything is so unique to my particular vision, my particular uh, experience, you know, but that's a real minority. It's a, at least that's my experience. I, I, I pamper my students and I, uh, you know, I celebrate them all the time because really the great majority is amazing. I cannot complain. No reason. Yeah, that's great. That's always great. Also on your website, you have the whole section with a lot of free materials. And I really encourage people, even if you're not planning, you know, to enroll in courses or memberships or study, 
uh, without today's guest, just go to the website and check it out because you are really like, you said you're focused on creating content and you're doing what you're saying. The whole section of the yeah. website is about that. And one particular section of the website is about what I call freebies or free downloads. And there are two that caught my attention. I didn't download them on purpose, just like to talk with you, like on a fresh, you know, like, uh, let's say glance, like not knowing what's inside there. But there are two yeah. that really caught my attention. One was called The Seven Laws of Self-Confidence According to Egyptian Dance. Mm-hmm. I know we're not going to talk about all seven, but can you name two that comes to your mind right away just for people to kind of have an idea? Because in your vision and you always talk about combination of dance training and self-development uh, including mm-hmm. developing self-confidence. So when I saw this freebie, I was like, okay, I have to ask, like, can you give a couple of examples like of those couple of laws among uh, the seven ones that you mentioned in that free download? Yeah, of course. Well, that comes in the sequence of what we were saying, right? As I was telling you, although it may be seen as marketing, for me, it's just sharing content. And I've been doing it really for a long time. Not, not because of the school, even before the school, I was already doing it. And I cannot separate the teaching of the dance itself from the teaching of personal skills. Personal skills that will allow you to do the dance, ultimately, but also personal skills that will reverberate. They will have consequences on your life. So self-confidence is one of them. The the freebie that you're mentioning is in the, I think, um, free resources page or something Mm -hmm. like that. Or free learning, I'm not sure about Yeah, the free learning page. you have, yeah. Yeah, but that's on the website. And um, I don't remember exactly what I wrote in that list, <laughs> to be very honest, because I've written so many things and recorded so many things. But of course, you know, there are a few things about self-confidence that I think we did not get right. So one of the keys to self-confidence is certainly the distinction between self-confidence and arrogance. So what do I mean by this? When I work with self-confidence with my students inside the school, there is always a little initial resistance because there is this idea that if you become self-confident, you become a little too full of yourself. There is like this subtle association between self-confidence and arrogance, (laughs) you know, especially if you're a woman. Not so much if you're a man, but if you're a woman, like, oh, she's so self-confident. So immediately, uh, if we pay attention, uh, we have this this idea that, oh, self-confident, okay, too full of herself. So the first thing about self-confidence that we have to understand, it's not about arrogance. It's not about presuming that you're better or worse than anyone. It's to eliminate comparison from your head. It's the first thing. So what does that mean? I'm unique. And so is everybody else, period. Change of sentence, okay? So there is no comparison. The game of comparing yourself to others is the game of arrogance because you were always superior or inferior in your head, of course, to somebody else, okay? So the world of competition and comparison is anti-self-confidence. It's the opposite of self-confidence. The first step for self-confidence is to stop comparing yourself to other people because they're not you and you are not them and they will never be. And everyone is different, not better, not worse, different. 
And if you see yourself as different, as unique, and if you know others are different and unique, you can learn from them, you can get inspired from them, but you do not set your standards according to them. And you definitely not ev- start, do not evaluate yourself according to them. Okay? So you become your own standard, right? If you ask me, um, if, if I want to become, you know, someone or if I want my business to be the same as someone else, I say, hell no, absolutely not. What I'm doing is so unique. It's so me. I, I have no reference for it. There is nothing else in the world that I can say, oh, I want it to be like that. No, it's me. I'm not saying that it's better or worse. No, I mean it's unique. So there is no comparison, just like me. You know, so the first thing is stop comparing yourself to other people, you know, stop comparing yourself and setting your standard of quality and evolution and, and what is ideal according to what other people are doing and being. OK, they are them and you are you. <laughs> this, is, this is the first thing, you know, the second thing. And it's something that I do at the school very often and I do it intentionally is if you want to feel self-confident, you can offer, you can start by offering self-confidence to other people, or let me correct that. You can offer confidence to other people, specifically women. What do I mean by this? Self-confidence also means that you actually like yourself. You like yourself. You know you're not perfect. Nobody is. Okay, so self-confidence is not about believing that you're a goddess. You're untouchable. You're perfect. Nobody is. You know, I screw up, you screw up, I have great stuff, I have bad stuff, I have, you know, I'm light and shadow and I, you know, I am great, genius, and then I'm terrible, and then I'm average. We are everything, okay? We are everything. Nobody is perfect and nobody is um, free from flaws and mistakes. But we have to like who we are and we have to be willing to grow all the time, you know, and admit where is. Um, the shadow, where is the light, what are the things I I can grow from, what are the things that I'm really good at that I can expand and help others do the same, especially other women. So if you want to feel more self-confident, give confidence to other women. Reach out, you know, say, oh, you're great. You know what? I love this, that's what you're doing. I love it. Or you look amazing or you are so intelligent. You're so interesting. Uh, reach out and, you know, offer support. I do that in my platform all the time. And my students know it privately without not, this is not even public. Okay. <laughs> Only the people involved. know. I will reach out and say, you know what? I saw, in, saw you in class or I saw you at the event. You're amazing. Or you know what? I saw you in class. I saw you at the event. Are you okay? You want to meet me for coffee over Zoom outside of the school outside? Do you need help? Is there something I can do for you? You know, and and this is like you're giving the thing you want to have for yourself, you know, but the more confidence you give to other people, you tell them you can do that. You can do that. I know you can do it. I know you're capable of it. You're telling it to yourself. You are basically telling it to yourself. And the opposite, too. If you're the kind of person who will tell, oh, who the hell that she thinks she is, you know, oh, my God. You're basically telling it to yourself, darling that you're not able to do stuff. So it's so important not to compare yourself, for sure. Know that you're unique and everybody else is. Very important to give confidence to other women so that you can have it for yourself. 
and also act as if you were confident. So what do I mean by this? It has to do with the way you treat yourself every day. It has to do with the choices you make. They must speak of confidence. They must speak of self-confidence. If I tell them very self-confident, very, ooh, I'm the maximum. But then I'm afraid to do new stuff. I'm afraid to put myself out there. I don't take care of my body. I don't take care of my life. I don't go for my dreams. Will you believe me? You will not believe me because my words will be reduced to nothing if my actions do not reflect it, you know. So it's very important to ask if I was self-confident, how would I act? What would I do daily? What would be the choices I would make? What would be the decisions I would take if I was self-confident? And then go ahead and do them because the practice, action will always be theory and words. <laughs> always. Ah, that's so cool and so powerful. And uh, like now I can't wait to ask you about the second freebie that I mentioned uh, and uh, uh, to to know like your opinion inside just um, as we are uh, slowly uh, coming closer to wrapping up conversation. But I just cannot skip asking this question, especially after hearing your reply to this, because I feel it's also... Uh, has a lot to do with sort of confidence. But the second freebie that caught my attention was five tips to awaken your sensuality. And actually, I mm -hmm. want to ask not about the freebie, the free download itself, but about the concept of sensuality, because I think it's very important and powerful, and it goes through a couple of your courses and work. You even have two work, two courses, like one sensual uh, balladi goddess, and another course how to awaken your sensuality with Egyptian dance, mm -hmm. and. Uh, mm -hmm. The question what was on my mind was like, hmm, that's interesting because a lot of dancers are kind of afraid even to talk about sensuality because it gets confused very uh, often with uh, kind of sexualization of ballet dance. And many dancers I even mm -hmm. say it's like, oh, it's not about sensuality, it's not about like, I don't know, being sexy or being sensual, uh, and they kind of try to take away ballet dance or Egyptian dance from this concept, and here you are, like, you are not afraid of talking about sensuality of Egyptian dance. Uh, how, in your experience, especially talking about it, like, online, via courses, via content, because online, it's a tricky space, too, <laughs> Sometimes it can be very misunderstood or misinterpreted and tweaked. So in your experience about uh, talking about uh, sensuality in Egyptian dance, how what kind of response it was getting from people and how do you see sensuality of Egyptian dance? Okay, that's a great, great question. So look, in Egyptian dance, we have a lot of elephants in the room, right? <laughs> a lot. Sensuality is one of them. It's like those subjects nobody wants to touch. Oh my God, if I touch that subject, the world will end. I will be criticized. I will be misunderstood. This is a taboo. This is, oh man. I think that the more we tackle the taboos and the elephants in the room, the less powerful they become. So I am not an hypocrite, okay? And I'm not an ignorant. Egyptian dance is sensual, obviously, but not in the way people think. So we're intelligent creatures here. Let's think together, okay? 
There is an association between Egyptian dance and sexualization and objectification of the body of women. That is a fact. Let's not run away from that fact. Sensuality is something else. So the first thing is we must make the distinction between sexualization of something and objectification of women's bodies and sensuality because they're not the same. They're not the same. Also, we have to acknowledge that Egyptian dance is naturally sensual because it is a, a dance that invites you to feel great in your own skin. And that's the primary basic definition of sensuality, is you enjoying yourself. Okay? <laughs> it has nothing to do with production, which is something else. Sensuality is directed at myself. Seduction is directed at a target outside myself. What people think Egyptian dance is, is seduction. It's a seductive dance. I dance to uh, affect a target, to seduce a target. It's the old story of the odalisk and the sultan. Yeah, or, or a modern <laughs> yeah. version like, oh, she's dancing to steal my husband. <laughs> exactly, exactly. She's dancing to steal my husband. Exactly. So you, you brought it into a sentence. Yeah, that's it. So that's not sensuality. That is seduction. Guys, let's, let's give the right names to the proper concept. That is not sensuality. That is seduction. I use a dance or anything else. It can be Egyptian dance. It can be Argentinian tango. It can be salsa. It can be anything. You don't need to Egyptian dance to seduce someone. Come on. You know, there are many ways of seducing someone. To seduce that target, right? That is not the purpose of Egyptian dance. There is a use, a lot of dancers do, of Egyptian dance. But that does not define the dance. It defines the use they, they choose to make of the dance. So the first thing we got to know is the distinction between sensuality and seduction. Again, sensuality is the ability to feel pleasure for myself, to feel great in my own skin, to enjoy the movement, to enjoy the music, to enjoy the physicality and the emotion and the breath and the experience of dance. And let's not kill ourselves. Egyptian dance is so pleasurable, naturally. And it's beautiful. It's one of its benefits. It's one of its perks. It's not a problem. People make it a problem because they confuse it with seduction. They may put everything in the same box, but it's not. So sensuality is something I do for myself. It's me enjoying myself. Seduction is me seducing someone else and using dance to do so in the context of Egyptian dance. So as long as we have those uh, concepts straight and as long as we have them clear in our head, then we're ready to jump into becoming more sensual with Egyptian dance. And how does that look like? Okay. We don't speak about how to seduce a husband. No. <laughs> not our husband and not the husband of other people. Okay. That's not the part of the curriculum. What we do is to reconnect with our own pleasure, to reconnect with the experience of each movement so that I can feel the muscles, I can feel the bones, I can feel my breath, I can feel the music and allow it to move me from the inside out. I can lavish and pamper myself in the experience of dance and the pleasures it brings to me and nobody else. 
That's what we do when we work sensuality in Egyptian dance. It's nothing to do with seducing someone. <laughs> it's nothing to do with the kind of clothing that you're wearing. It's all about reclaiming the pleasure of being alive for yourself in your dance and in your life. So most people will understand that if they are inside my platform. Why? Because I have spoken and written about this subject, I think, frequently. I think so. So if you go into my YouTube channel, Joanna Seder's YouTube channel, you will find videos about uh, sensuality and what it means in the context of authentic Egyptian dance, not the distortion of Egyptian dance, not the use Egyptian dance, but in the real purpose of Egyptian dance. And if we think about the origin of Egyptian dance, Okay, if we think about how it all started, we will see it has nothing to do with seducing someone. This is a sacred religious dance. What does it mean, religious dance? Okay, so the word religious comes from the Latin, religare. Okay, religare means to reconnect, to bring together something that was torn apart. What does it bring together? It brings together my physical body my mental body, my emotional body, and my spiritual body working together in a holistic, balanced, dynamic way. That's the first religious function of authentic Egyptian dance. What else? It brings together my physical and my spiritual world, okay? My physicality, my sensuality with my soul. This and creativity and the symbolism of the womb that has to do with our creative potential is the purpose of Egyptian dance. The way people use it or misuse it is another story. Mm, <laughs> you know, so sensuality yeah. is an elephant in the room. Of course it is. But, but we don't uh, tackle uh, elephants in the room by ignoring them. You know, I used to have this conversation with Mahmoud Reda many times. Because uh, the style he created for Reda Troop, for instance, was carefully thought to eliminate a lot of the sensual elements of Raksa Sharki. I spoke with him about this many times, and he was always very clear about how intentional he was in cleaning up, cleaning up the technique and the movements from references that in the eyes of people, especially Egyptians, would have a sensual or sexual connotation. Okay, And this was one of the few things where me and Mahmoud Reza disagreed profoundly. And I listened to him and he listened to me. I told him, Mahmoud, I respect your point of view, obviously, but I have another point of view. I think that it's not by eliminating the sensuality of Egyptian dance that we elevate Egyptian dance. It's by acknowledging what truly means sexuality in the context of Egyptian dance and bringing it to the world in a way that is dignified and beautiful and elegant. So I'm telling you this as an example of perspective. You know, I think it's so important that we get the concept of sensuality straight in our heads. Because for most people, sensuality is sexuality or is seduction. And they're not the same. <laughs> they're not the same, you know. So when I do, uh, when I do, when I tackle this theme in my courses or, you know, in private classes and events, I tackle it bringing my own perspective of things and hoping that people will understand that and take a new concept of sensuality to their dance and to their life. 
Sensuality is about your ability to feel pleasure when you eat, to feel pleasure when you take a shower, you know, feel pleasure in your life, in your daily life, in these small things. Sensual pleasure, sensuality is everywhere. And it has nothing to do with hitting a target, (laughs) you know, seducing a target. No, 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 nothing, nothing. It's about the pleasure of being alive and taking full charge of of your joy, your birthright to joy. While you're moving in your dance space and in your daily life, in the small stuff, you know, it's a new awareness of the presence of pleasure and joy in life and claiming it and saying, I deserve to feel this good. I deserve to feel these pleasures. I deserve to feel these pleasures. Let me feel them. Let me create the space and the time to feel them. That's sensuality. Someone who's enjoying life fully from the inside out. Okay. No, it's it's exactly to the point and I'm so happy I asked this question and this is the huge topic. Like we can I think we can record a separate <laughs> different interview and uh, this guy conversation talking about it. Maybe part three coming in the future, uh dedicated to this. But I'm very happy I asked and thank you for sharing and uh, pointing out very important important reminders and uh, uh, very important things for dancers uh, at this point at least to start thinking and uh, I'm pretty sure many of dancers got curious also in like your uh, courses and classes dedicated to this topic because this is something like we we were talking earlier about are we connected or disconnected um, with other people but we very often forget that we quite often get disconnected from ourselves. (laughs) with ourselves so so on this note actually talking about your courses before i ask uh, our final question i would like to ask you a couple of things first where can people find you where is your first like go to maybe social media or is website is the best way to follow your activity so if people want to find out more and follow your uh dance uh experience, dense thoughts, and dense content, where should they go? Okay. So I, I'm going to share with you, or I've already shared the links to our official website. So if they go to joanaseira.com, they will find uh, everything. They will find the page of the school, the page with the courses, the free learning. They will find more information about me, our store with my books, uh, they will find social media links. So I have Joana Saida's YouTube channel and Instagram and Facebook. But mostly if I want to enjoy my method, my teaching, I would highly advise them to check my signature course. As I told you, this is the best thing I've ever done. It took me more than 20 years <laughs> to put together. And uh, it's going to be a real game changer in the way people uh, teach and in the way they learn Egyptian dance and also in the way that we see how Egyptian dance can really be a transformation tool for for women today. So I would invite them to check the website, first of all, you know, and, and join our newsletter so that they get news and updates and special offers I only share with, with our internal community. Okay, so find me at juanasaitas.com and subscribe to the newsletter and check the signature course. And I think you're up for something really, really amazing and very intense. 
So obviously I will add all links uh, to social media and to website in the show notes so people, uh, all our listeners, you know, you can easily find more information there and connect to our guest. And in terms of teaching, uh, because we talked a lot, can we just like sort of uh, summarize, clarify like the ways, because I feel there are different formats how people can learn with you. So you mentioned about your signature course, but also you mentioned about private coaching, separate courses. Yeah. By the way, are courses like uh, people can expect like pre-recorded videos or are you doing them in the uh, format of live streams? Yeah, all my courses, including the signature course, are very dynamic. So I'm using all the tools I can use. You will find pre-recorded classes. You will always have live masterclasses with me and live Q&As. You have assessments, quizzes, you have audio classes. I make sure that courses are very rich and dynamic because as a student, I get bored very easily. <laughs> you know, so I know what it means to be on the other side and I know what I need to feel engaged. So I offer all of these formats inside of the courses and I also offer a real link with my students. That means they know they have me at their beck and call for personalized input, for help, for guidance. Um, my students are real people. They're not numbers inside of a school. That means my goal is not to have them inside of a course. My goal is to have them transformed at the end of the course, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get that done. I want them to get the results at the end of each journey. And if that means I have to be engaged constantly with them i mean with pleasure so it is a combination of all of this mm -hmm. okay okay uh, cool. and it. you and also mm -hmm. tell me tell me and you also mentioned that you have another format of membership is it for specific courses or is it like a membership to get access to all your courses yeah no the membership is for the signature course uh, it's membership because it's a continuous course it's not something that you that you subscribe to and it's over in one month or two or three. It's something that is continuous. So it takes you from zero to the advanced and then I to see. professional. Mm -hmm. That's it. And also in relation to the private book, there is a very distinct, very distinctive uh, level, okay, or separation of levels. There is private coaching for regular students of all levels. And then I have private coaching programs for advanced or professional students who want to teach or perform, or both. And in those cases, all the classes are live face-to-face -face with me. I don't, I don't do the pre-recorded anything. It's, it's by hour with me, face-to-face. -face. So, and it is tailored, obviously, around that person. So I have very, very different students. Uh, teachers who already have their schools and they want to develop their teaching, uh, students who are preparing to perform, students who are preparing to compete, students who are starting, you know, but they want that personalized attention. So before we start the course, I get to know the person very well. I have an interview with the person. I watch videos of this person dancing. If there are videos, there is a questionnaire that goes as deep as it can go about knowing the character of the person as well. And then, according to what I get to know from that particular person and what this specific dancer wants, I tailor, I craft a, a program that does not exist for anyone else. 
it's just for this person. Obviously, answering the personal challenges of that that student, her specific potential, because we're also working with the things that people are naturally good at, right? It's not only about tackling the weak points, it's tackling the strong points and expanding them and also going towards the direction they want to go. You know, where do we, do they want to get? What is the goal, right? And how do I take this person to that goal? How can I help her get there? So it is, I mean, if the courses at the school are intense, the private coaching is three times, five times more intense because it's really like being under fire all the time. It's only for the ones who want to have a fast and real evolution in the direction they want to take. It's not necessarily the direction of my school, you know, it's the direction they want to take. So it's, it's a thousand percent personalized and I actually love it. I love it. I don't have much time for, for a lot of submissions because it takes a long time, you know, and, and my time is precious. So I, I cannot accept all the students for private coaching. I have a, a limited slot for that, but I really love it. I love working one-on-one as well. Well, I'm happy we clarified because uh, uh, there are different formats of learning and working with you that you offer. So I just wanted to make sure by the end, like we talked a lot about everything, but at the end, like that uh, our listeners can clearly understand what options are available uh, for them to study with you. So uh, as we are coming, summing up our interview, I would like to thank you once again for sharing your time and sharing your experience and insights inside the Joanna's world. <laughs> of uh, This time we talk more about online education and running online platforms. So uh, thank you so much for sharing uh, your experience with us and uh, being present and being open for different uh, stories and tips uh, that I'm pretty sure many dancers will also get inspired and maybe try and implement in their own, uh, like, you know, everyone is teaching online these days, so it's also really cool to hear from someone else's experience, what they are doing, how they are approaching things. So thank you so much for, for sharing and being open about that. <laughs> You're welcome, Yanni. Thank you once more for the invitation. It's been a pleasure. One more time. Very nice to chat with you. And uh, thank you so much. It's, it's always really a pleasure to talk to you too. And I would love to uh, summarize our conversation with our final question, signature question, which you already heard and answered, but I'm pretty sure in this few years, the uh, maybe not the meaning, but at least the wording, probably would change then probably you will answer it with a fresh you know like uh, not I but I don't know heart <laughs> to it and the question is what makes you fall in love with belly dance with Egyptian dance again and again so you keep doing it for so many years okay um, let me let me think about the initial reason that made me fall in love with it and the reason why I'm still in love with it, right? To see if they are the same. So the reason why I fell in love with it, as I can recall, was because I, I felt I had found my language. This is the best way to put it. I, I did not have any previous interest in Egypt or in Egyptian dance. I did not have people around me doing it. It was not trendy. It was not, you know, nothing, zero, no references, no influence, no, 
no previous interest. And when I listened to the music and when I had that first contact and I was thrown into a circle and just invited to follow the music, I felt that I had found myself and my language. That was the initial reason that made me fall in love with it. Okay. Nowadays, and notice that, that, you know, all my years of career in Egypt and then working with festivals around the world, I've seen the best and the worst of the business because sometimes people fall out of love with the business of Egyptian dance, not with Egyptian dance. You know, I've seen a lot of dancers who fall out of it, but not, they don't stop loving the dance. They stop loving the environment around the dance. And I can understand that because there is a lot of nasty stuff and also a lot of great stuff. You know, you, I, I've met the best and the worst, you know, in Egypt. And, but I think that's the same with every environment, every field. I, I don't think it's specific of Egyptian dance, to be quite honest. So what I think makes me love it nowadays, it still, still has to do with the fact that it is my language. It is the most natural thing I will ever do. Okay, but also because I see how much richness it has brought to my life and I want others to experience that. How much richness in terms of personal development, how much richness in terms of culture, because when you learn Egyptian dance with with a professional teacher who knows the culture in depth, you're receiving an incredible amount of information from a different history, different culture, different mentality, different way of life, different references. And I don't know about you, but I'm very excited to dive into other cultures and and to to consider other ways of, of living and other perspectives. I really love it. And I think that's the greatest education you can ever have. You know, you can go to a university but in the end of the day, um, maybe your mind is as closed as it was when you started your university course. But what Egyptian dance does, if taught uh, properly, is it opens your head to a very different world, a world of values and, and, and realities that are not always pretty and amazing, okay? There's a lot of stuff in Egypt and in Egyptian culture that I dislike, but there is also a lot of treasures there. So. How rich it has made me and my life and my internal life and how much it has transformed me and how much I hope I can provide that transformation and richness to other people. That's the thing that makes me want to come back to it again and again and again and again. And also, as you grow with experience, as you've done it so many times, I mean, I've done it millions of times. And you would think, oh, you will get bored, you know, it's predictable and you've done it so many times. I mean, don't you want something else, <laughs> you know? But I feel that there is a depth and there is different layers of meaning and different layers of self-expression that you get to explore when you stick with it. And when you stick with it in the right way, from the heart, from the heart. No bullshit. I mean, no bullshit. No theory, really, from the heart. You know, in my book, I will close with this, okay? In my first published book, The Secrets of Egypt, Dance Life and Beyond, I speak about the three gates of Egyptian dance. 
The first gate is the ear, our ability to listen and receive. That's the feminine principle of receptivity. How I am surrendering to the music and how much I allow my system to, to, to digest it, to, 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 to drink from it, to, to get affected by it. Okay? The second door or gate is the heart. And the third is what people call the dance itself. That is physical movement or non-physical movement because dance is physical and also energetic. So sometimes you're dancing, you're in a pause. You're not physically moving, but you're dancing still. So the second gate is the heart. And this is something that most dancers will never go for because they are not trained to do so. And therefore, they miss the magic, the everlasting magic of Egyptian dance because they do it either directly towards the movement. What do I do? Show me move, movement. <laughs> what do I do? Or they listen and they move, but they don't feel it. They don't filter the music through the heart. So the movement is not coming from the heart. And if it's not coming from the heart, for real, there is a magical dimension of Egyptian dance people will never experience. And I've been very privileged, then again, very much due to the teachers I, I caught along the way. I was very lucky with my teachers who showed me right ahead from the beginning that there was no Egyptian dance without heart. There's no such a thing. There is an approximation of, there is a mimicking of, but there is no Egyptian dance if it's not coming from the heart. And if it's coming from the heart, I assure you from my own experience, you get more and more and more in love with it with time. Because you will discover new dimensions of yourself, of the dance, of emotion, of music, of self-expression, of identity, of healing, of so many things. It's like a well without end, without bottom. <laughs> That's it for today, guys. But before you go away, don't forget to screenshot this episode and share it with your friends. And if you post it on social media, please tag me and our guest because we love seeing who is listening to the podcast. Thanks for being with us and I'll see you next week. Same time, same place.